Converge Church. How's everybody doing today? I said Converge Church. Come on, y'all ready to worship? Stand up with us. Come on, John. Man, come on, let's worship this morning.
touch from Jesus Christ it'll change everything
that when life throws us situations, we constantly remind ourselves to stand on to stand on your word. Because when we don't, if a house is built on sand, it's gonna crumble. But you, God, are the solid rock. And we're so grateful and thank you for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Everybody says, amen and amen. how talented they are because they are it's not about how beautifully they put to be the pieces together because they do but it's about where they take us and getting us to those moments with with God and getting to celebrate and worship Jesus in the way that we we get to here so thank you worship team that was beautiful and welcome Thank you. We do. We say welcome to you guys. Thank you for joining us for Converge Live, our in-person worship experience. Yes, there are a couple people out there who are excited. <laughs> yes, yes. If you guys will please just take a quick minute also to help me say hello and welcome to Converge Nation, our online virtual family that will be joining us on demand later this afternoon. Converge Nation, we appreciate you and we want to say hello and thank you for joining us. Also, if it's your first time with us, welcome. We are so excited to have you. We know there are a lot of options of churches and or just staying home and streaming online. So we are so grateful that you're here with us. So um, make sure to stop by our welcome center. We have um, some cards there. You can fill out some information. We will not bug you here at Converge Church, but we will stay connected with you and make sure that you know what's going on here. We also have a small gift for you if it's your first time with us. It's our way of saying thank you for joining us. Um, so again, make sure to stop by. We'd love to, uh, to meet you and, and say hey. Um, also, for those who are not yet following us on social media, uh, we are on all the platforms that matter, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, at We Are Converge, and we are also now on TikTok um, at Converge Church. And if you are not following us on TikTok yet, you know, you just scroll through and it's the perfect little clips that either make you laugh, that inspire you. Well, our team is doing an awesome job of giving some awesome clips of our pastor, and it's just like the perfect little motivational nugget um, when you're scrolling through. So go check that out. Follow at Converge Church on TikTok as well. And our first announcement of something going on next weekend is our going to be our next steps uh, class. So if you have been joining us or visiting us and you want to learn more about our vision, our mission, kind of the culture here at Converge Church, and you haven't gotten plugged in as a member yet, we would love for you to join that next steps class. Um, it allows you to get some of that information, get more plugged in. And of course, we have some resources to give you as well. Just sign up at admin at weareconverge.com. You email and just let us know that you're interested. Yes. <laughs> and then two weeks from today is Mother's Day, and we want you guys to join us for that. Yes, what we want to do is celebrate our moms, our grandmothers, our aunts, our uh, mentors, all the women that have impacted our lives. 
So make plans to attend. Our very own Pastor Wendy will be sharing a life-giving, uplifting, yes, message. And so make plans to attend today. And then on Sunday, May 15th, we will be honoring our graduates. Yes. So if you are connected with Converge and you are graduating from high school or college or even doing some postgraduate studies, we want to recognize you and celebrate that milestone with you. So what we need is for you to send us some information. In order to do that, we need your full name. We need a headshot or your senior pick. We need the high school that you're graduating from or the university that you're graduating from. Your major, what high school you're, or not what high school, what college you may be going to along with your major or whatever degree you obtained. Email that to admin at weareconverge.com because we want to celebrate you on that day. And then our awesome youth student ministry director Coquetzo Macapolo will be bringing an on-time word, yes, to bless our students. So again, save these dates and mark them to your calendar. As we move into the Blessed Life segment, I just want to share something real quick. Thank you so much. T-Roz is always excited to give. Yes. I want to share something with you guys. <clears throat> I have been believing God, our family, my family has been believing God for some very big things in the financial area. And one of the ways that he has been um, encouraging me is in my obedience to his word. And so if I'm believing him for some financial things, I need to be obedient to his, his word concerning my finances, part of which is to bring my tithes to my local church, my tithes and my offerings. And we had a praise report this morning, God, guys, and I can't share the details, but what I will tell you is that it is a miracle. It is something only God could have done, and it was done because we have been obedient to the word of God. So when I stand up here and I talk to you guys about giving, that thing is not self-serving for us. That thing is so that you can live out what God has promised you in his word. And that thing is obedience, guys. I'm just going to be really transparent. I, for real, for real, have been believing him for some things. And there have been times when I get ready to tithe that I'm like, Lord, you know. You know what I could do with this money. But for the Jackson household, tithing is not an option. It is not optional. It is mandatory because I am choosing to live in obedience to his word. We are choosing to live in obedience to his word. We are building our foundation that we just sang about on the solid rock of Christ. I think about when, when Chad sings that song, I think about Little Red Riding Hood. Is my house built on wood? Is it built on straw? Is it built, as the word says, on hay and stubble? Or is it built on the solid rock of my cornerstone, Jesus? I am choosing, we are choosing to stand in faith because he is not a man that he should lie. He is true and faithful to his word. And I want you guys, we're standing under an open heaven, y'all. He said in his word, prove me, bring your tithes, bring your offerings, prove me and see if I don't open up a window of heaven and pour you out one single blessing that you will not have room to receive it. I promise y'all, this is not self-serving. I want y'all to experience what I'm experiencing as I'm going through. But Chad just saying it, I'm gonna make it through. I've already made it through because God said I'm victorious, y'all. So I want you guys to stand with me in obedience and in faith to bring your tithes and your offerings to his house so into the good ground that is Converged Church. This is your opportunity. So now that I'm done preaching, my apologies, Pastor Ray. <laughs> 
If you would like to join me and the rest of Converge in obeying God's word, this is your opportunity. Our ushers are in the aisles with envelopes and ink pens. We just ask that you would fill out those details in its entirety so that we can properly record your giving. You can also give safely and securely online by visiting us at weareconverge.com forward slash give. You can give via text by texting Converge Give along with the dollar amount to 77977 and you can give via our mobile app. You just download or search the iOS and the Android platforms to find and download Converge Church Plano. Thank you guys so much for all that you do. Everything, every seed that you've sown, how generous you've been, we appreciate it. Let's just say a quick word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness. You are so good. You are our good, good Father. You are faithful to your word. You have never failed us, God, in any area of our lives, and you will not stop now because you are incapable of failing. We thank you for every seed that is sown into this good ground. We thank you for those that desire to do it, Father, but may not have it. We thank you for those that are giving where their knees are shaking because they may be able to use those funds elsewhere, Father, but we know that you're faithful and that you're going to honor our obedience, God. We love you. We appreciate you. We lift you high. We give you glory. It is all for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of the worship experience. Got a little rumble in the jungle there. All right. We good? All right. Well, good morning, Converge Nation. So glad to see you. You look absolutely phenomenal. And uh, listen, I'm excited to be in the house. This is... Uh, uh, this is sort of a new rhythm for us, so we're kind of tweaking and, and getting better at our processes. We made the transition from Saturday nights to Sunday mornings. Our teams, yeah. Our teams have been working feverishly and diligently to make sure we provide a quality worship experience to you. Listen, if you're joining us online, we'd like to say welcome to Converge Live via our online portals. Uh, man, I'm, I'm being pulled in several different directions. I'm trying to figure out which way to go first. Um, but let me just piggyback off of what Andrea just shared. Uh, the culture here at Converge Church is a culture of generosity. And uh, we've always encouraged people to live with an open hand, not a clenched fist. Uh, but with that, uh, we've never tried to put pressure on anybody to do anything they weren't comfortable doing. Uh, but one of the things we teach, or at least there's three things we teach about generosity, and we believe it's from God's word. And, and I want you to hear what Andrea said but also in the spirit of this house and what generosity looks like for us. Is that all right? Yes. First and foremost, we believe that generosity is a matter of love, not the law. Uh, most people will debate and argue all day long, well, tithing and, 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 and all of that, that's Old Covenant, that's Old Testament, and there's a lot of proof in the New Testament that tithing is a New Testament principle. However, they make it about the law. The truth is, Abraham, long before God instituted the law, gave a tenth of everything he had. 
And the reason he gave a tenth of everything he had was because he acknowledged how much God had blessed him. He didn't do it because God had given a law. He did it as an act of love in response to what God had given him. So when we give, when we tithe and give offerings, number one, we don't do it because of law. We do it for love because tithing is a principle that preceded the law. Uh, number two, number two, uh, it's a matter of faith over fear. Now let me qualify that because again, people will go to Malachi 3 and say, oh man, if I don't give the tithe, then, 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 then I'm cursed. And right there, your motivation for giving is wrong because your giving should be done in faith, not in fear of being cursed by a God who the scripture says loves us. That my motivation for giving shouldn't be the fact that, oh, if I don't give, then God won't rebuke the devourer. No, it is a matter of faith. And it's a matter of faith because we believe that if we set aside our first and our best, God always redeems the rest. Listen, I grew up in Liberia, West Africa. Here's, here's, how, here's how it worked. Dad got first dibs on everything. So if mom cooked, if mom cooked, he got the best cuts of everything. And he got to go first. And everybody else got what was left. You know why? It's a matter of honor. The first and the best was always reserved for dad. Because we acknowledged and recognized the place of honor that he had. And so for us, giving is not a matter of fear, it's a matter of faith. And I trust that if I honor God with the first of what I have and the best of what I have, he will redeem he will multiply and increase the rest. It's a matter of faith, not fear. We think of it in terms of subtraction. I'm going to take 10% of the 100 and I'm going to be short. When God says, I will multiply the 10. Most times we factor, we process God in terms of subtraction and God says, generosity is a matter of multiplication. That little becomes much in the hands of Jesus. In fact, what you have may not be much, but it will always multiply by his touch. It is a matter of faith over fear. And let me just pick it back off of the third thing, or say the third thing, which is sort of connected to what uh, Andrea said. And I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you to, 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 to let you know that here at Converge Church, we're not the church of Capital One, what's in your wallet. That ain't our concern. What you do is between you and God, but our prayer is that you will obey God. It's a matter of obedience, not obligation. And that's why scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, the word translated cheerful is hilarious. And he goes a step further and said, don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it out of compulsion, but just do it with, willingly, with a willing heart in obedience. And so when we say here at Converge, we live with an open hand, not a clenched fist. That's why. Because for us, giving is a matter of love, not the law. It is a matter of faith over fear. And it's a matter of obedience over obligation. 
supposed to get to my message, but I think I need to tell you guys this because I just shared it with our leadership team. And some of you know that we've been on a journey with Preston Trail after they announced that they were shutting down this campus and transitioning all of their staff, all of their teams back to their main campus in Frisco. And shortly after they made the announcement, this building that we've been meeting in since last June was listed for $7.5 million. Uh, how many of you realize that that is a heavy lift? Just to put that in perspective, the way the bank's calculated now is your mortgage is approximately $6,000 times the amount you're borrowing. So $7.5 million times $6,000 is about $45,000 a month in mortgage alone. That's not paying stipends to musicians. That's not subscriptions. That's not all the other stuff we pay for. Jesus said it this way, let a man count the cost before he starts to build. Let a man count the cost before he wages war. And so we counted the cost with our board, with our leadership team, and they said, ah, this, is a, this is a heavy lift. Uh, there's no way we can do this. But at the beginning of the year, the Lord gave us a word, and that word was simply, there is more. And it's a story of the disciples who had toiled all night. They had done everything they knew to do in their own ability and their own capacity. And they were washing their nets. It was a sign that they were done doing what they had been doing. Jesus saw them come up empty. Jesus noticed their deficit. Jesus realized that they had toiled and they had worked and still come up short. Have you ever been in, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but have you been in that place where you have labored? And not laboring because you don't know what you're doing, but these were professional men who had toiled all night, the best time to catch fish in the Middle East and caught nothing. Jesus sees them in their desperation and Jesus comes over to them it says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter, here it is, Peter, confused in his response, said what I probably would have said to Jesus. Master, we've told all night. In fact, if I, if I were Peter, I would say to Jesus, yo, Jesus, <laughs> you need to stay in your lane. You build houses. I catch fish. And it is the paradox of faith when the fisherman has to listen to the counsel of a carpenter. That's the problem with most of us. Because before God gives us a miracle, he gives us an illogical instruction. I need wine. Fill the pot with water. Jesus, that don't make no sense. The man with the withered hand, he says, stretch forth your hand. Jesus, if I could stretch forth my hand, I would have done it a long time ago. Because the miracles of God are always preceded by an illogical instruction. Because faith often overrides reason. I said, Jesus, listen, we talked all night. We worked all night, caught nothing. 
Peter had a moment of clarity and he said, nevertheless, sometimes in life you just got to dig deep and find your nevertheless. Mm -hmm. And, and, And Peter says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets for a catch. I'm going to put down my nets in the same place where I came up empty, empty, because you said so. And the Bible declares, the Bible declares that Peter put down his net and he pulled up a net breaking, boat sinking catch. In fact, the catch was so great that Peter couldn't handle what God had blessed him with. And he starts to cry out to all of his buddies and they come and they fill their nets at his word. And so we knew what we could and could not do. But in the midst of this, someone who has been a friend to Converge Church said, you know what? Ray, Wendy, we're gonna make this happen. And on our behalf, they submitted a letter of interest with proof of funds, and we began the negotiation process. And last Friday, Preston Trail accepted our offer. Yeah. Yeah. Not because we had it. Not because we could do it. Because if we could do it, we wouldn't need God. And I came this morning to tell somebody that God's got you right where he wants you. He's got you in a place where you can't do it for yourself. It's going to require his divine intervention and your obedience to an illogical instruction. And so tomorrow, we move into the contract phase. Listen to me. And guess what? We haven't spent a dollar or a dime. Because he said so. Pastor Wendy shared earlier that when she met me, she remembers I would always give. And one of the things I would give to would be building funds. So 24 years ago when we met in Bible college, she said one day, she asked me, man, why you, why you always give the building funds? The building's already built because the Bible college we went to had a Bible college and a church. Why are you giving the building funds? And I told her, baby, one day I'm going to pastor. And I believe, according to Deuteronomy 6, that God will give us wells we didn't dig. He will give us vineyards we didn't plant. And he will give us houses we didn't build. And sometime between June 17th and July 8th, the keys to this building will be turned over to us. And you know what this is? This is a house we didn't build. All of the furniture, all of the sound equipment, all of the instruments, everything in children's church, everything in the youth ministry, every chair, every mat, every light that we didn't build. Only God. 
only God. So for everybody who's prayed with us and prayed for us and believed with us, listen, I wasn't going to say this in this service, but I wanted to, to just affirm and confirm everything Andrea said. You can't beat God giving. Let me say it another way. You can't outgive him. Especially, listen to me, especially if the 90 that you're holding on to ain't enough already. Right? The 90 ain't enough, but you won't trust it with the 10. And I've seen God do this time and time and time again. When we made the decision to plant City Church, now Converge Church, <laughs> you know, I told I, Wendy's first response when we got the call for Presser Trail, she just started bawling and bawling and bawling. I haven't even had the time to bawl because I've just, I've just been in a state of shock. I still remember when God called us to plant this church. My mom and dad had moved down from Columbus, Ohio. Wendy had been on maternity leave six months. Levi was only about four months old. No, he was about a month and a half old. Nia was six. We had six people under one roof with one income, mine. And God says, quit your job and start a church. Now, let me just help you all. <clears throat> How many of you realize that when you quit your job, they stop paying you? Just in case you were wondering, what happens when you quit your job? But God gave us a word. Listen to me. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, God gave us a word before I made that decision. And the, the word was Exodus chapter 3 and verse 20, the night when the, the Israelites walked out of Egypt. And the Lord told the Israelites, you will not go out empty-handed. Now, Malak, I believed that because my wife and I had served in that place faithfully for six years, that when we left, woo, people would just be throwing money at us. Because God said, you ain't go out empty-handed. I thought that's what was going to happen. It didn't happen that way. <laughs> I, I want to be careful what I say. But I left with them owing me money. And even the money that had been put, put into 401k that we tried to roll over, that was a whole wrestling match. Yet we stepped out in faith on the word of the Lord. You will not go out empty-handed. And when we did, God sent the people. Didn't even know who was going to come, how they were going to come, when they were going to come. And from that moment until now, we've been able to serve, not part-time, but serve God full-time. Because God gave us a promise that we would not go out empty-handed. 
And it didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen. But God did it anyway. So why am I saying all of that? I'm saying all of that to say, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you need. But we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything and everything you could ever ask. Listen, if you could ask it and you could imagine it, our God can do so much more. I say that to encourage you. And so when we talk about generosity here at Converge, listen, listen, the kind of struggles, the private struggles we've had. There was a guy. Not just a guy. But several families that transitioned from Converge. There was City Church at the time and and this particular guy was just stirring stuff up. And some of them had given to the building fund. And uh, there's this one guy who kept sending me text messages. Hey, man, he had left, but he said, kept, what's the status of the building, man? And I said, we're still looking. We haven't found anything. And then the final text he sent me, he said, man, I'm thinking about getting my lawyer involved because... Y'all haven't built the building. And I said, so what do, you want? what do you want? He said, oh, I want my money back. And so that day, for this, just this one guy, you know, he had given a gift of $10,000. And we immediately went and looked at all the records. But he had given a little bit more, $12,500. And that day, we returned $12,500. And then the other guys who were connected with him, they all wanted their money back and we all sent them their money. There are things that sometimes you would never know. But God has been faithful. God has been faithful. And so... Um, all, all, I, all I'm saying to you is listen <laughs> our God is so big man and whatever you, you give in love whatever you give in faith whatever you give in obedience it may leave your hand but it will never leave your life it will never leave your life because when it comes to generosity in the kingdom of God, it has a boomerang effect. It always comes back. And it comes back so much bigger than when it left your hand. So Father, we ask you now in this moment uh, for that one who might be struggling with what they have to do next. Maybe all we have, maybe all we have is two loaves and five fish. And he said, Lord, what can you possibly do with this? Look at the multitudes. What can you do with this little boy's lunchable? It's not a whole lot in our hands. But Father, when, we, when it goes from our hands to yours, it feeds multitudes. 
And not only did you feed the multitudes, but that day after everyone was fed and full, that little boy went home with 12 baskets full. He came with two loaves and five fish, went home to his mom and dad with 12 baskets. So Lord, for the one who is struggling and saying, God, I see the multitude, but all I have in my hand is two loaves and five fish. God, would you just do a work in their hearts? Not any manipulation from me or from Pastor Wendy, but God, I pray that by your spirit, we would all learn to trust you again with what's in our hand because you're faithful to multiply it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. We serve an awesome God, amen? Listen, I just need to let y'all go home right now. I should, but it's 1057. And I wouldn't be Pastor Ray if I didn't keep y'all longer. No, for real. Uh, listen, I, I do want to let y'all go, but I, I, have to, I have to share a few thoughts with you. Can I do that quickly? Let me share a few thoughts with you, and then uh, you will be out of your way. Uh, today, we wrap up our uh, three-part mini-series that we're calling Person of Interest. Uh, we started about three weeks ago, and then uh, by design, strategically, intentionally, we did a standalone message for Easter called Death Defeated. Uh, my plan originally was to do a countdown to Easter, and then the third and final message would have been this message that I'm about to share with you, but we felt like we needed to do a standalone message for Easter, just understanding our, our target audience and uh, the people who would be attending that they might be visiting for the first time, and they wouldn't have the full context of the message. So uh, this is for you, uh, Converge Nation, person of interest, week number three. Uh, let's dive into the word together with a word of prayer. Father, we love you, we honor you, we bless you. Uh, we commit this time to you, and we thank you, Lord, that your word will go forward. It will go forward, it will go forth unhindered and unfettered, and that, God, you will take these lips of clay and anoint them uh, to speak as an oracle of God. I thank you that our hearts are open and receptive, not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word also. For it is in the doing of your word that we are blessed and our lives are transformed. And everyone said, amen and amen. Listen. Uh, I've shared this working definition of what a person of interest is, but person of interest is a term used by law enforcement in the United States and Canada and other countries when identifying someone who is possibly involved in a criminal investigation who has not been arrested or formally accused of a crime. Uh, the term person of interest actually has no legal meaning, but it refers to someone in whom the police are interested. Either because the person is cooperating with the investigation, because they may have information that may assist in the investigation, or here it is, or they may possess certain characteristics that merit further attention. They may possess certain characteristics that merit further attention. And that's been the premise of this series. We've been talking about the fact that you, in week one, possess certain characteristics that merit further attention. And because you possess these certain characteristics, you have become a person of interest, not only to God, but also to the adversary. Because you're carrying something of great value on the inside. Some of us might call it an anointing. Some might call it an assignment. You have become a person of interest to God, but also to the adversary who has one agenda, and that is to ensure that you sabotage God's plan for your life. 
Are you with me? We said that God is for you. Satan is against you. But you cast a deciding vote. You determine the trajectory of your life by choosing God's plan for your life. The second week we talked about the fact that uh, because Satan possesses certain characteristics, he ought to be a person of interest to us. And that's why the scripture says we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Because what you don't know is actually hurting you. In fact, God said in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, he said, my people, not unbelievers, he said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. They're dying because of what they don't know. And so in week two, we talked about the necessity of knowing your enemy. Not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Uh, Here's here's the third and final installment. Y'all ready for this? Uh, Today, we're going to talk about why Jesus come on somebody, should be a person of interest to you. Why Jesus must become your magnificent obsession. Hmm? Why Jesus must become the only thing and the only one that matters. Why the decisions that you make should be informed by the fact that you are making a decision to live for an audience of one. Not the crowd, an audience of one. Because Jesus possesses possesses certain characteristics that demand, that merit further attention. So what is it about this Jesus that should fascinate us? What is it about this Jesus that deserves all of our attention, all of our affection, and all of our devotion? Y'all ready for this? I keep hearing that beat in the back of my head when I say that. I know y'all from Chicago. Y'all got that house music down. Come on. All right. Okay, let me stay on track so I don't don't lose focus. Y'all with me? Uh, Today's message is about why Jesus should become our magnificent obsession. It's it's important. You know, in the French culinary tradition, they have this thing called mise en place, right? All the, all the, the people who cook in the room, you, you guys uh, enjoy uh, culinary traditions and all that. In the French culinary tradition, they have this thing called mise en place, which means everything in its place. How many of you realize if God isn't in his rightful place, everything else in my life is out of order and it is out of sequence? If anything in my life occupies first place other than God, everything in my life is out of sequence. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be what? Added. What's the first thing in the sequence? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else is added. In fact, it goes a step further. It said, don't be like the Gentiles. Because they're concerned about what to wear. Come on, Gucci, Prada. Listen, if you spend too much time on social media, you're going to have a woe is me kind of life. Hold up now, where my Gucci belt? Where my Maserati? And I'm wondering, even for my pastor friends, if they want to be ministers (laughs) or they want to be influencers. I ain't talking about just influencing people to the gospel. I'm talking about celebrity influencers. 
What are we doing? We still building the kingdom or are we building our kingdom? And Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles because they worry about what to wear and what to eat. Except for you, prioritize the kingdom and all these things will be added. Problem is your life is out of sequence. You got me somewhere down the line. And you have put your material and even financial needs ahead of me. Notice what he said. If you put me here, these things follow you. You steady following it. Yet he said, if you allow me to be your shepherd, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. One translation says, I shall not lack. And then the psalmist closes that psalm with this, surely. Goodness and mercy will all the days of my life. God's goodness, God's mercies follow the man or the woman who has allowed Jesus to be their shepherd. Mise en place, everything in its place. That's why Jesus should become our magnificent obsession. Because he brings order to the chaotic places in our lives. Hmm? It ought to be sequential. So here it is. Jesus possesses certain characteristics that merit further attention. There are things about Jesus that should require our attention, our scrutiny, our affection. So so I'm going to dive into the text here real quick. It's lifted from Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, we'll read through verse 22. Y'all stay with me because I want to go fast and furious. I already preached one sermon to you about generosity. This is the second sermon called Person of Interest, week three. Come on, somebody. Right. Y'all get two for one today. This is your BOGO service. <laughs> Buy one, get one. Come on. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. The text should be on the screen. And Luke writes, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Come on, somebody, that'll preach right there by itself. Let me give you some some backstory. Jesus is 30 years old, which is the the official age of a rabbi. You had to be at least 30 years old in order to to be considered mature enough to assume the title and the office of a rabbi, which simply means teacher. Jesus is 30 years old. He spent the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity. We don't know a whole lot about Jesus except the fact that he was an apprentice to his father, Joseph, which was the tradition in Israel that if someone was a fisherman, then it was the family business and the children would apprentice in that family profession. We don't know a whole lot about what Jesus did in the first 30 years of his life. We see him coming to the temple and reasoning with the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus saying, I must be about my father's business. Beyond that, we don't know a lot about what Jesus did. Fast forward to 30 years old. Uh, The scripture says in Luke chapter, the early part of Luke chapter 4, we're in chapter 4, but in the early part of chapter 4, the scripture says uh, that Jesus, come on somebody, being full of the Holy Spirit, was what led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. That doesn't add up that a spirit-filled person 
would be led by God into a place where they would be tested. Right? Most of us come from a, uh, this background. I'm a word of faith guy, charismatic through and through. And some of my charismatic friends are like, nah, if anything bad happened to you, it's because you did something that put you out of the will of God. And that if you're really serving God, no bad will ever come to you. Yet the Bible says the reason Jesus was led into the wilderness was because he was filled. Is it possible that you can be in a dry place, in a barren place, not because you missed God, but because you are in the center of his will? And because there are seasons of testing and proving in all of our lives. How many of you want to drive a car that's never been tested? None of us want it. Yet we want kingdom credentials without our faith ever being tested. And a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? So Jesus... Is about to begin his earthly ministry, Koketso, and he begins his earthly ministry by being tested over a 40-day period. Now, notice, if you go back to the early part of chapter 4, it says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, so he was led into the wilderness to be tested by the, by the, by the devil. And at the end of it, he comes out, and the scripture says, and he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us lack some power because we don't like problems. But I'm yet to see anybody who had really big muscles who didn't embrace the resistance of weight training. Are y'all with me? In fact, the reason your muscles grow is because they first have to shred. Hmm? But most of us want power! We don't want no problems. And Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. So he is led by the Holy Spirit. And he comes to verse 16, listen to me, that we just read in the power of the Holy Spirit, under the influence. And I wonder how many of us today are living under the influence. Are y'all with me? So he comes to verse 16. And I love this, right? I love this because Jesus comes to his hometown. And if you know anything about his hometown, <laughs> Jesus grew up in the <laughs> in the projects. Hmm? And I don't say it disparagingly, but I say it because the scriptures testify of it. Because the testimony of Nazareth was can anything good come out of Nazareth? You all hear what I'm saying? That's what Jesus was born into. Nazareth was the place that everybody was leaving. Yet God saw it fit that his son would be born, would be raised in Nazareth. So Jesus comes back to Nazareth. Notice verse 16, where he had been brought up. He comes into the synagogue, and I'm sure there were people in the synagogue that day that he recognized, that he knew, that he grew up with, that he played Pop Warner ball with. 
AAU basketball. The coaches were there, the kids were there, and he came back to a place that everybody had forgotten. And that's where Jesus launches his ministry. Not only does he launch his ministry there, but here, here's, here's rule number one of public speaking. Y'all ready? Know your audience. Hmm? So when Jesus steps up to that podium to deliver his mission statement to the world, he goes home to Nazareth, the place everybody was leaving, to deliver this message to an audience that he understood and he knew. This is critical to grasp. Because as he's about to deliver his mission statement, you have to consider the audience he's speaking to. These are hurting people. These are broken people. These are people who have been ostracized, who have been rejected. And these are people that scripture says, ain't nothing good coming out of there, man. Why are you wasting your time? That's where Jesus started his ministry here on earth. And it gives us a glimpse into why Jesus ought to be a person of interest to you. Because of all the places that he could have started, of all the places he could have gone, he went first to hurting people. And I say that to say this morning, if you find yourself in that place, uh, Jesus ought to be a person of interest to you because he possesses certain characteristics that merit further attention. Jesus didn't just come to the down and out, he also came to the up and out. He was just as comfortable ministering to Bartimaeus on the outskirts of Jericho as he was ministering to the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, who was loaded and paid in the city. But they were both broken. Whether you're Bartimaeus outside the city begging for change in a cup or you're Zacchaeus in Jericho in your mansion begging for change of your heart. They were both begging for change. And he became a person of interest to Bartimaeus who cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he became a person of interest to Zacchaeus, who was of short stature and couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. So he was so desperate for Jesus that he climbed a sycamore tree. And I wonder how many of us are desperate enough for Jesus to cry out for him like Bartimaeus or to outrun the crowd and climb up a tree and make a fool of ourselves just to see him. What drives you in your life? Because sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we can be motivated, right, by inspiration. But man, I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where I wasn't inspired. I was just desperate. And my question this morning for you, Converge, is are you desperate enough for Jesus to continue to cry out for him Even after Jesus' inner circles, the disciples tried to shut you down. The scripture says he cried out all the more. Are you desperate enough for Jesus that you outrun the crowd and with all your dignity and all your prominence, willing to be foolish enough to climb up a tree just to get a glimpse of him? All right, 
I promise you I'm about to, I'm going to go fast, all right? But I got to say this. So that's the context. And the scripture says, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Come on, somebody. Jesus is about to declare his mission statement. His red hot why. He's about to introduce himself. And again, when you introduce yourself, rule of public speaking, you make a good first impression. In fact, your first uh, uh, 60 to 120, 180 seconds are the most critical. And of all the things that Jesus could have said, he goes to his mission statement. He delivers his red hot why, and he announces to us why he should be a person of interest to us. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because. A few years ago, I challenged Converge Church, and I said, everybody in this room, you need to discover your spirit, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because dot, dot, dot. Why has God anointed you? What has God anointed you to do? What are your unique giftings and callings and graces for? Jesus says, the reason I walk in this power is this. Just in case you were ever wondering, he said, the reason God anointed me is to preach the gospel to the poor. That word gospel doesn't just mean good news. In the literal language, it means the almost too good to be true news. That what Jesus was saying to these people in Nazareth was almost too good to be true to them. You mean to tell me God loves me? In my whole life, I've heard nothing good can come out of this place? You mean God's got a plan for me beyond just going in circles? You mean God wants to do something special in me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the almost too good to be true news. And he preaches it to the poor. Number two, he has sent me, come on somebody, he's talking to his target audience to heal the brokenhearted. Heesh. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Somebody say person of interest. Yeah, 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 yeah. In that moment, what Jesus said piqued their curiosity. He said, this guy's talking to me because I'm one of the poor. This guy's talking to me because I'm brokenhearted. This guy's talking to me because I have been captive to my circumstances all my life. And he became, in that moment, a person of interest to broken people in his hometown of Nazareth. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Here it is. I'm just going to go fast and furious. Why should Jesus be a person of interest to you? He should be a person of interest to you, to me, to all of us. Because he knows the worst about you. Yet chooses to see only the best in you. Let, let me stop there for a second. Those of us who have an appro approval addiction... Those of us who are people pleasers, can I just help you for a second? 
Most of the people you will encounter in your life love you based on what they don't know about you. Let that sink in. Oh, I love you. Oh, you're my bestie. Oh, I'll never leave you. All of that talk is based on what they don't know about you. And that's, why, that's the reason why we dress it up. That's the reason why we cover it up. That's the reason why some of y'all won't let anybody get close to you. Because you keep them at a distance because you realize if they really knew that about me, would they love me? All the pretense, all the facades, all the masks we wear are an effort to make sure that people continue to love us based on what they don't know. Because if they really knew, would they still love me the same? Yet Jesus says, I know everything, every single thing about you. Not just what you did, not just what you're doing, but even your propensity for what you will do in the future. And I still love you. Now anybody who gonna love me like that ought to have my full attention. Who loves me in spite of my failures? Because the God kind of love, listen to me, the God kind of love loves not because we're perfect, but even after the worst has been displayed. I wish I had time to get into this, but I told you I got to go fast and furious. He should be a person of interest because he knows the worst about you, yet he chooses to see only the best. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about that. Love believes the best. So why don't I run to him? If this perfect God only believes the best in me. All right. Okay. Uh, I, I'm thinking about what to, to leave out. Because I came loaded today, y'all. I called today's message Most Wanted. Uh, years ago, it's a popular show on TV called America's Most Wanted. But the reason I called this Most Wanted is because the most wanted list is, is maintained by law enforcement agencies, but notice it is a list of criminals and alleged criminals who are believed to be at large and they are identified as the, agent's highest, the agency's highest priority for capture. Now this list can alert the public to be watchful and it generates publicity for the agency. Now here's the history of the most wanted list and there's a reason I'm saying this. Because everyone in this room made it to God's most wanted list. Everybody in this room, according to scripture, was a criminal. For we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody in here, most wanted list. But we made the most wanted list not because he wanted to condemn us. 
John chapter 3 and verse 16, God so loved. You were a person of interest to him. Even when you were far away from him, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We often forget verse 17. It says, for the son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world. You were a person of interest to him, not because he wanted to condemn you, but he came so that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Even now, even now, you're his most wanted. So here's the history of the most wanted list. The FBI was the first agency to create a most wanted list. Uh, the FBI 10 most wanted fugitives list was inaugurated on March 14th of 1950 at the direction of FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, the idea for the list came from a question, come on somebody, by a reporter for the International News Service. The reporter asked the FBI to provide names and descriptions of the toughest guys that the agency wanted to capture. After observing the high level of public interest generated by this news story, Hoover decided to publish a formal list. Who's the toughest? Who's the baddest? Those were the ones who made it to the most wanted list. Uh, let me tell you why you made it to the most wanted list. Let me tell you why I made it to the most wanted list. In fact, I'm just going to talk about three people that Jesus talked about in his mission statement. Number one, you all ready for this? It said he came to bind or to heal the brokenhearted. You made his most wanted list because he saw your brokenness. Not as a reason to reject you, not as a reason to condemn you, but as a reason to love you. Uh, that word translated brokenhearted, y'all ready for this? In the Greek, literally means <laughs> to break, to tread upon. I don't know about you, but has life. ever tread upon you? Have people ever walked all over you? Jesus said, I see your brokenness. And I came to bind that broken heart. It, uh, it, the word means to, here it is, to crush. It's one of the reasons that if you go to some Greek weddings, they have the opa tradition and they break plates and, 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 and even some weddings, they have a salt ceremony because, uh, and they also break glass and they put it in there because it's like, once this thing is crushed, there's no coming back. Are you with me? Jesus came for those hearts that were crushed and all that was left was fragments. And people have looked at you and said, man, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses, no, I'm saying it wrong. Am I saying it right? Uh, all the king's horses, all king's men, okay, couldn't put Humpty back together again. That's where the devil has left some of our hearts. 
Can't nobody fix that. In fact, there are people that you have encountered in your life who made it their mission to crush you like Humpty Dumpty and say all the king's horses, all the, they ain't going to be, when I'm done with that, ain't nobody going to be able to fix that. Uh, 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 it means, here it is, to shatter. It means to tear one's body, listen, and to shatter one's strength. When life hits you so hard that you ain't got nothing left, no strength left to give or to go on. Jesus said, I came to heal you. Pablo Picasso, I was just reading about him, but Picasso's uh, most recent painting that was sold at auction sold for $174 million. Yeah. When I read this quote, I realized why he drew the way he did or painted the way he did. This is what he said. He said, every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. Because life has a way of squeezing that stuff out of you. Hmm? Listen to me. I don't know what people see in Picasso's painting that they're paying $174 million. But if I was Picasso's art teacher, I probably would have crushed him. You got one eye over here, an ear down here on the neck. But isn't that what happens to us in life? People crush that. And in one person's hands, what he was drawing could have been trash. But to somebody else, it's worth $174 million. Who have you allowed to handle you? Number two. Oh, did we put a picture on the screen of Picasso? Was it good? Was it even good resolution? Yeah, that's Pablo. Yeah, y'all see one of his, you see that eye? <laughs> that eye up there on the gangster lean? <laughs> People paying $174 million for that. But that's all right. I ain't going to knock your hustle, <laughs> Picasso. Why did he come? Uh, let's put the second picture up there. Uh, that may not seem like much, but if you're Japanese, you understand exactly what that is. It's a Japanese art form called kintsugi, 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 where if a vessel, a bowl, a plate, a cup breaks, they take that bowl or that broken thing and they put it together and they use gold inlay. Not glue, but they have a technique where they, they piece it back together. The broken pieces with gold. And those uh, vessels are of infinitely more value in Japanese culture because of what it's been through. Why y'all listen to what I'm saying? You with all your brokenness, God takes those broken pieces and he says, I will bind the brokenhearted. And in those broken places, like Kintsugi, what's the next one? I think there's another image. Same thing. Can you imagine how many pieces? Do you imagine how long it took 
to take all that brokenness and make something beautiful of it. Jesus ought to be a person of interest to you because he came to bind the brokenhearted. Number two, hey, y'all ready for this one? Number two, he came not just for your brokenness, but for your bondage. Uh, I'm not going to say a whole lot about that. But he said, I came to proclaim liberty to the captive. Freedom to the captive. Hmm? Listen, what you don't know is hurting you. Somebody say Juneteenth. A whole lot of people were free. Just didn't know about it yet. And Jesus said, you were free 2,000 years ago on the cross. But you still live in bound. Because what you don't know about what I did for you is still hurting you. You were free a year ago, baby. You just got the news on Juneteenth. But you've been free. And you've been living a lie that the enemy has told you that you're bound. It's one of the most painful realities of, in fact, the word captive means prisoner of war. Prisoner of the war against our souls. Now, one of the, 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 the most painful realities, right, of being a POW <laughs> is that the war been over, but you're still in a pit somewhere in Vietnam. And that's where most people live. That's where most people live. In the 80s, I grew up on the, you know, they did a lot of Vietnam movies, man. Chuck Norris, come on, somebody. Missing in action, one, two, and three. Somebody said, yeah, here, Don. Yes, yes, yes. Platoon, full metal jacket. Prisoners of war. And the war's over, but you're still in a pit covered with a bamboo lid. And Jesus said, I came to set you free. I came to set you free from your bondage. Not just the brokenhearted, but those of us who were bound by the struggles of our past. Finally, this is why Jesus ought to be a person of interest to you. Because you might be broken, you might be bound. Number three, your blindness. He said, I came to give recovery of sight. To the blind. Some people not broken. Some people not bound. They just blind. Can't see. Or can't see clearly. Because the word blind, translated blind, means opaque. It means smoky. You know how sometimes in life you, you can kind of see, but you can't see clearly? Yeah. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. Come on, pastor. Oh, man. I can see. Come on, T-Ross. Gone are the dark clouds that held me bound. It's going to be a... Sunshiny day. Jesus healed a man. And the first time he touched him, he said, what do you see? 
And Jesus, and the man replied to Jesus, Stephen, and said, I see men as trees. The first and only time when, when someone required a second touch from Jesus. Hey, I don't know about you, but some of us in this room today just need a second touch. Because the first touch is about sight. The second touch is about vision. That's why Helen Keller said, what's, when she was asked, what's worse than being blind? And Helen Keller replied, having sight but no vision. And Jesus said, I came to give recovery of sight to the blind man, the person whose sight is opaque. In fact, I went to the, what do you call them? The people who do eyes. Huh? Optometrists, yes. <laughs> I think this, glasses ain't my jam. I don't even know what these people, but uh, we go every year, get our eyes checked, because Nia wears glasses, Pastor Wendy wears glasses, and uh, I'm in denial. <laughs> I mean, I brought mine today. You see, I didn't even, I had them on, in it, but after the lady did, she said, uh, she said, Ray, you need to wear glasses all the time. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, when you wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> You need to put on glasses. Like, people need to know you as someone who wears glasses. <laughs> but I've been in denial, though. My vision's been smoky, especially at night. You see. Yeah. But I got something. They gave me something to fix it. But I don't want to wear it. Jesus said, I came to correct your vision. Not only restore sight, but to give you a vision for your life. This is where I close. One close only today. <laughs> no, one close only. No, y'all ain't got to watch out. This is one close. I guarantee. I guarantee. One close and one. <laughs> y'all laughing like y'all don't believe me. One close and one close only. Notice what Peter writes. It says, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. The band can come. The band can come because this is where we close. This is where we close. Jesus ought to be a person of interest to you because you are a person of interest to him. You made his most wanted list, not because of how good you were or how good you are, but because of how bad we all are. We've all missed the mark. But the good news is, Jesus is a person of interest to us because he's writing a new chapter to our story. He's writing a new chapter to our story because there are chapters in our lives that say brokenness. Chapter two says blindness. Chapter three says bondage. He's writing a new chapter. And that new chapter of your life is called Jubilee. That's what Jesus was declaring in Luke chapter 4, because he closes with these words. I came to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation, here it is, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. Amen. And when he says the day, he's not just talking about one moment or one minute in time. He's talking about the dispensation when his favors, he doesn't just call it favors, but he calls them his free favors, yeah. profusely abound. 
So today, God wants you to receive that new chapter called Jubilee. Because he'll deal with your brokenness. He will deal with your bondage. And he will deal with your blindness. So that you can experience Jubilee. The day when the free favors of God profusely abound. There's a song that Maverick City Music does. And uh, man, it's been on heavy rotation. There's several songs. But it simply says, he's God of my present. He's God of my future. He's rewriting my story. He holds it all together. He is Alpha and he is the Omega. He's in the middle. He holds it all together. So Father, I pray that you will do that for your people today. That God, you will be the God of our present, the God of our future. That God, you would write our story. And that God, you would hold it all together. And God, just like that Kintsugi bull, we thank you that you take the broken pieces and you bind them together with gold. Thank you, Lord, for the supernatural healing that's happening right now in this moment, in this room. We thank you for it, Father. We receive it now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Did that help anybody today? Listen, we're just getting started. Uh, God's given us this building. And the reason he's given us this building is to reach this city, to reach this community. We declare every seat filled. We declare multiple worship experiences on Sunday mornings because God's going to bring them in, not just from McKinney. He's going to bring them in from Melissa. He's going to bring them in from Anna. He's going to bring them in from Prosper, from Salina, from Allen because of what he's doing in this place. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand with us, Coquetzo? Would you come, please? God of my present. Amen. God of my future. You write my story. You hold it all together. God of my present. God of my future. You write my story. You hold it all together. God of my present. God of my future. You write my story. You hold it all together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Coquetzo, why don't you come? Because I'll keep you. If I start singing that song for real, we'll be here a minute. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Our Lord holds it all together. Oh, what a blessing. With arms lifted up to heaven, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord make His countenance to shine toward you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you were impacted by today's worship experience, we would love to hear from you. 
Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we would love to send you some materials to help you kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you would like more information on how to join our virtual family, email us at echurch@weareconverged.com. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely at www.weareconverged.com give. You can also give by texting 77977 and send Converge Give in the dollar amount. You can also find all of this information on our mobile app. Simply open your app or Play Store, search Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.